Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all ship masters. This is episode 51, High Seas Adventures. Yo! Yeehaw! Historian Jake, um, how about Uh, take us through what is a pirate? Okay, so uh, piracy and pirates uh, are very weirdly popular um like as a as a genre like it, there's like kind of this pirate high seas adventure genre where there isn't like this mongol uh far east step raiding like genre even though they're kind of similar and like, like yeah i don't know uh but piracy has been around forever piracy is essentially uh it's when you download music that's not no it's when you, you are steal a car <laughs> you wouldn't download a house um <laughs> And so, so piracy, wherever maritime trade has existed, there has been piracy. Um, and so throughout history, uh, if you want to try to risk your life to earn a quick buck, this was often the way to do it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, piracy is a common thing. I guess the, the thing for me, like piracy is this pretty, it's just stealing, mostly on the high seas, um, sometimes on rivers and lakes and stuff like that. But, um, it, it's really weird to me how popular the genre is. Like, it, it's crazy that, like, essentially, I think it comes from Disney. Um, like, how in the heck and heck did they make pirates, f- like, fun when they're, like, brutal? I mean, oftentimes rapists and uh, masochists and just... Not masochists. That's hurting yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yo! <Sadists. laughs> Yo, I like how this feels. Um, no, so uh, I feel they're, nothing they're like, on the inside. <laughs> they're they're essentially like villains. They're 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 really not good people. And it's weird how we kind of have this jolly Pirates of the Caribbean Disney version of pirates, when in actuality they were some of the most brutal, uh, might makes right uh, villains of history. But at the same time, I think that. While we do romanticize pirates, I think that it comes from a different place than just Disney being uh, the the sole like proprietor of like pirate movies and making all these fun like quirky like I'm Captain Jack Sparrow like type of stuff. I think it <laughs> it also comes from the fact that it's kind of people sticking it to the man where. You look at the East India Trading Company, and they dominated. They absolutely dominated the market at their time. Like they were, I would, I think they would probably be bigger than Amazon. And oh, definitely. So yeah, they were it's, worth, I think, seventeen trillion dollars in mm-hmm. today's money. Jeez. And and the pirates are are kind of like the little guy. Like they're like, yeah, we're gonna stick it to the man. So it's almost like they're 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 trying to. They're more like rebels yeah yeah it's 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 almost as if they're rebels even though that's that's kind of not how it works but that's kind of close to the place that they're coming from yes so my thought is um it's pirates are not popular by disney pirates have always been popular like treasure island is from 1882 when we actually still had pirates sailing the ocean and i think there's something about um, like David says, this rebellious like thing. I think that the thought of sailing on a ship is terrifying and exciting. And the kind of people who would go do that for a living is, um, 
admirable in a way if you're thinking of like uh, old navies like you get on a boat that has no motor um <laughs> no gps and you're just going to go for it yeah um, that's thrilling and then um pirates obviously like there's this thought of treasure buried on an island somewhere and that there's mysteries and um i don't know it's this whole thing is is very romantic and fantasizable yeah there, there really is this air of drama and thrilling adventure baked into the concept. Like, it, it is thrilling, and a lot of people died because it's, like, risky. And it's, yeah, it's, it's built in with this, this sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. And there's, interesting. And there's also a lot of mixed in with, like, exploring the unknown. Because you get a lot of, here be dragons! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get, like, a lot of, like, Christopher Columbus and... Uh, Cortez and all of those guys kind of like mixed in with pirate lore. So it's pirates aren't just people who plunder like ships. They're also people who adventure and go out into the unknown mm-hmm. as well. That's that's kind of like the vibe because they're looking for treasure. They're looking for all these like the fountain of youth and mm-hmm. all of these other different things. Well, and a lot of pirates didn't necessarily raid and plunder. A lot of it is just basic smuggling. Um, because there's a lot of things yeah. that we wouldn't even consider bad goods. That sounds funny. Bad goods, illegal goods, um, <laughs> like coffee and tea that they're like just bringing into other countries where like this, this trade is banned. So there's definitely a spectrum of sort of morality and violence. Um, and you don't necessarily need to be like a murdering rapist to be a pirate. Mm-hmm. And there are yeah. a lot of renowned smugglers like on solo and oh, okay. all of those people are, are like some of the, like they're very like fondly thought of as, yeah, kind of what what you were talking about earlier is like one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, how Han Solo is considered this um, hero, but if he was doing what he was doing against the Republic to the Empire, he would seem like kind of a bad guy um, because the Republic is viewed as good by the audience. Um, oh, and the same thing with even like the 4th of July like uh, that we just had, um, the Boston Tea Party. Like, mm-hmm. nowadays, the most patriotic Americans, if someone did the Boston Tea Party nowadays, would just be, a, they would be, no, destroying property is never the answer. Even though it's like, they're celebrated now for property damage and theft back then. Comparing this back to D&D, like, it takes, like, desperate measures to truly go something and do something that risky. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, same thing with, like, legitimately, like, if there was, if we were all in severely impoverished like suddenly diving into that dangerous dungeon suddenly feels a little more possible like yeah and so it's kind of the same thing like it's the risk reward and yeah you have to be pushed to a point where you're willing to risk your life in order to to get out of poverty or to just just strike it rich yeah and i think like today like there's like nato that's like sailing around so that to like deter threats and back then you had the British Navy like that. So you, you stood a risk of having some serious opposition opposed to you. Like, it's not just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to sail in and take over these innocent people. It's, you know, there's there's an actual like threat of like trained military people who are going to come like kill you because you're stealing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's I yeah. think it's very important. All right. Let's move into the the basic broad themes of a pirate campaign in D&D. So what do you think of when you think of pirate campaign? 
Um, so the first thing I think, obviously it's, it's on the ocean. I mean, th- we'll talk later about how that doesn't necessarily have to be true. Lake but pirates? Just, yeah, I just think of this broad seafaring type thing. And, and it's more contained. Like islands and ships are these contained things. Like you can't just, I head north because unless you're just going to start swimming or you're like a, a merfolk, um, that's not feasible. Um, so it is more contained, and there are kind of more contained elements of ships and islands and ports and stuff like that. That's cool. Um, I think that as far as like exploration, depending on if you want to run, um, it's called a, uh, I think it's called an island crawl or a sea crawl as opposed to a hex crawl. Um, but navigationally, you can be like, okay, for this adventure, you can go to one of these three islands. Um, you set a course for them, and then you have your three distinct um, flavored adventures. Or, or mm-hmm. however you want to run it. So it, it definitely gives you this kind of discrete uh, in the sense of these these specific chunks of things you can do. Like, oh, this island has, has the safe harbor, and here's like the Pirate's Cove, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Islands are fun. And, of course, yeah. um, islands are really big places. Even tiny islands that you can barely see on a globe are um, quite quite substantial. So you can, you can hide dungeons and treasure and um, maybe even a dragon, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, when I think of pirate campaigns, I want to reflavor all of my spells. Like maybe we have a part of the world oh. where like magic evolved and developed differently. And so you have things like your component materials are like seashells and sand and um, the skull of a seagull. That's, you know, gross <laughs> driftwood. Um, imagine a, dru- a druid that like lives on the coast and everything they have is is coastal themed. Very yeah, different. Very different than like your kind of um middle ages medieval druid in the woods just covered in seaweed basically he's just a homeless guy from santa cruz uh who can also cast magic (laughs) wait Um, the homeless guys from santa cruz can't cast magic so i i think there's uh on pirate campaigns like on the ocean there's there's a lot of ways to infuse horror into it mm-hmm. um and i think like kind of the fear of drowning the fear of the deep um there's a subreddit i love called the Lassophobia. oh my gosh yeah which is just like the fear of i think it technically means like the fear of looking into water and not being able to see the bottom okay um and so it's like yeah like that that sort of terror that innate like oh my gosh like how deep of water are we in what could be below us um has that element of horror just built into it. And I think that can be, you can definitely pull some levers to make uh, the campaign either much more jovial and happy and kind of classic romantic piracy, or you can make it like really horror infused pretty easily. I like that. I think it'd be really interesting to infuse a pirate campaign with a lot of Cthulian themes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Where, there's like krakens there's all sorts of like otherworldly sea creatures that lurk beneath the depths so yeah that's that's another thing that you can add to really spice things up um i think it was in the movie aquaman and minor spoilers for aquaman um they there's this trench area that's full of bad bad things the mariana trench yes and i like the idea of having places that you don't even want to sail over in the ocean yeah uh, for danger um the other thing like if we're talking about just dangers on the ocean is weather um there is a campaign that i'm interested in running where they have um sort of in the center of the map there is <laughs> it's kind of world of warcrafty like this maelstrom that is, is maybe not as big as, as wow but 
it's where the, the extreme hot temperatures meet the extreme cold. And so there's like this line on the map where it's super dangerous to sail through. So it's actually very oh, difficult yeah. to transition from like the, the subtropical environments to the, uh, the northern climes. Um, and I like that because it lets you still restrict movement to some degree um, and have interesting challenges to overcome. I've got a question for you guys. Why do you think that ghosts and skeletons are so prevalent in pirate-themed genres? Because a lot of people tie it at sea. Yeah. I think they're mostly found, I don't know, like in areas like dungeons, you know, like like around trying to find buried treasure and stuff like that. Cause, I it mean, just shows I, the inherent risk, I think. is That's what the point of ghosts and skeletons is like, okay, people have died here, you know? Interesting. Because I, I know, I feel like they're much more prevalent in this in in the pirate genre compared to other random genres like that like they're like skeletons and ghosts are just like a a pretty big staple like having davy jones or Mm -hmm. you know any of these other ghostly figures or like even in the first pirates they had a lot of skeleton yeah and the skeleton and i wonder how much of that is just based off of the roller coaster ride in disneyland because they just use a lot of (laughs) skeletal imagery because i i really haven't seen a lot of other pirate movies um and the ones i have seen don't really have as many skeletons so i think it just conveys risk and death like hey people have died doing what you're trying to do right now Mm -hmm. like just that inherent it just adds uh drama to to the danger or is it just from like the skull and bones flag (laughs) Like that. I mean that. Yeah, that, that the be. Jolly Roger. Yeah, I love looking at old pirate flags because, like, I love. I mean, you guys know, like, the, the whole thing of like vexillology, like just the flag design stuff. Oh yeah, and like just being. Imagine like being a pirate that's successful enough to be like, all right, mateys, we're designing our own flag now. <laughs> like it's just so. <laughs> what was the name of that? Uh, think about that it. lady pirate, the best, the most successful pirate of all time. She's Chinese uh, or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Xing Shi. Yeah, I did a Historium episode on her. Um, yeah, she was... I think her flag was just like a standard red flag or a standard yellow flag. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that that's another thing we, we can get into, like how pirates are much... Like we when we think of pirates, we think of the Caribbean. We think of like the standard yeah. masts and the standard ship. But if you look at like, you know, especially like uh, Chinese or just Eastern, uh, like Pacific Ocean piracy it's much different like they kind of swarm in there's like these big uh, called junks uh which are a different type of ship with a different sail uh, m- mostly more shallow water stuff but they can just swarm in hundreds of those ships mm. um and it takes more bureaucracy and organization but yeah there's there's stuff to be explored there too as we mentioned with the uh, british empire patrolling the seas against pirates and actually they were pretty darn effective at it uh they had yeah. ended piracy more or less um date uh jake helped me out with the date here but at, at a certain point piracy was eradicated in the caribbean so that was you know, yeah. a good job team um but if you're going to be running a D campaign and whether you're a pirate or you're the police effectively like that threat of being of having to engage with a dangerous and powerful force needs to be ever present so if you're going to be doing pirate stuff even if it's just smuggling like have that pressure of um getting caught Yes, that's a, that's one way that you can scare players, mm-hmm. especially in ports and stuff. Yeah, I, I think the the final thing I'm thinking of in regards to the ocean is just like this kind of going back to horror is the sea monsters. Oh. There are so many different types of things that. Okay, I gotta say this. I think this is such an untapped genre 
uh, of movie. Like, why aren't there more sea monster movies? I feel like that they could be so good. Pacific Rim. Because um, I mean, you have. I mean, that's that's not a that's a that's a monster fighting movie. The first like one. Weird the first one's really good. Yeah, but I wouldn't call that a sea monster movie. Yeah, it's more like a monster movie. Isn't that, that where they come like, from? Like the sea. Well, I mean, yeah, but you could say like. Yeah, like it's not Pirates, the genre isn't defined at where they came from. Yeah, like in Pirates Two, we see the Kraken like wrecking the, the yes. Black Pearl, and that is the probably the closest thing we've gotten to an actual sea monster movie. See that, fight. and then what about Aquaman? Just classic uh, no. Jaws, like Jaws, uh, is great example of that. Of like the the sea monster is after them. Uh, it's it's ramming into the boat. It's they can't the, it, clearly the force of the of the shark is more powerful than them. Um, well, there's the movie yeah, The that, Meg. Wow. Oh, God. I, David's naming the worst. <laughs> maybe David's giving all the reasons why we it shouldn't be a genre. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree, though. That I think it'd be fun to see a lot more nautical-themed movies. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, period piece nautical. Like, sea monsters. Like, imagine, like, uh, just, like, a sea monster attacking, like, an, a sailing ship in, like, the 1600s. Oh, yeah. Like, terrifying. You could do that, like, and play it really straight and really hyper-historical, like, oh, that'd be so cool. Well, there's, like, Master Commander or something like that. And that there's was no a... sea monster in that. There's no, no, but it's a good, like, period piece. Oh, period drama, yeah, yes. of that, that, and it's... that flavor, yeah. And I think that if we had some modern stuff like that, that would be... So, um, there's a show, Spicy. Jake, I don't know if you've watched this, I would love to watch the this. The Terror. The Terror, yes. I've seen uh... it, it's incredible. So, uh, what's the premise of The Terror? So the terror is it takes a, histo- a true historical story of a ship that uh, was exploring um, like the Arctic. Like it's, so it's going through this kind of the ice and uh, the sh- people start going crazy. They get stuck in the ice um, and it's just everyone's like at each other's throats. They're running out of food. They're running out of supplies. And so that was a true story from history. And they just added some some Lovecraftian elements to it that just make it even more messed up and and awesome and like that that sort of vibe is exactly what what i want more of from hollywood like that period horror is so like historical horror oh who's that guy that's the man's raider oh that's what know? that's where i recognize them from he just has did you guys I've, did you guys know uh there's a there's a rumor that hbo is uh doing like a hyper historical horror uh about the Black Plague. Oh, jeez. That would be... Couldn't that be very, great? Like, kind of... Like, think of Chern- like Chernobyl, but, like... With the Black Plague? Like, yeah. And they have oh. no idea what's spreading it. Exactly. It's, like, this invisible, just, like... Pe- some people think it's curse from God. Other people think it's, uh, like, all all sorts of stuff. Like, oh. HBO is gonna kill it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's... Okay, let's, let's talk about some specific sea monsters, some of our favorites. The obvious one we talked about was, like, the Kraken... Um, the D and D five E Kraken is a little different than like the Kraken from like, uh, pirates two and three. Uh, but like, yeah, just the whole, the tentacles coming up, you can fight the tentacles. Like I've used crack. I probably overused the Kraken. Like anytime my players are out at sea, it's like, Oh, where's that Kraken? <laughs> <laughs> it's out here. There's a, uh, a picture I love. That's actually a painting of the Kraken. I'm trying to see what you have to type in. Um, uh, who painted this? Anyway, it's just a boat floating on the ocean, and in the depths, there's a, a kraken that's like fifty times bigger than the boat, 
and oh, yeah. it just it, it triggers some thalassophobia for me. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna close that that tab now. <laughs> I think the thing is like krakens come from a place where there is kind of stuff like that in the ocean. We have like giant squids. You look at and... giant squids and Dude, octopus if, in general. If I was a sailor and I saw a giant squid. Like, that just, like, surfaced, and I just saw it, like, swimming by in the water. I would be terrified. Mm-hmm. Dude, yeah. <clears throat> like, ugh. They are so... Uh, just octopi in general. Like, they're... They have... They look like aliens. Like, they... Look how people imagine aliens. And they, and they have a beak. Why do they have a beak? They're also hyper-intelligent. Yeah. yeah, they're smart. Oh, they're d- disgusting. They can oh, squeeze through being... small holes. Imagine being eaten by an octopus. Oh, I'd rather it's not. It's probably the worst thing I can imagine. <laughs> um, so speaking of octop- octopodes, octopi, um, there's a book I, I recommend everyone read called Contiki, which was um, in 1947, an expedition sailed on a balsa wood raft from the Pacific uh, to the South American Polynesian Islands. And um, they did it without motors. And that was, what? was yeah, and they and they made it because they were proving that these currents exist and you could do it because they were. Oh yes, I've heard. Yeah, they're proving the old Polynesian like uh, the, they they made the voyage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and they proved that it was possible. Um, but while they're sailing, they saw all kinds of strange things because they don't have a motor and and boat motors drive away sea life. And so in one part yes. of the book specifically, there it's at nighttime, and there's these red glowing eyes that are just like next to the boat. And they're like, what the heck is this? And they're looking on the flashlights, and there's these, I don't know if it's a squid or an octopus, that would stand up in the water and look at them. And they were just going through a pool, of, like a, oh. a school of them. And I'm like, yeah. this, and, and, like, if you're a sailor and this stuff is happening, like, I would, I want out. I'm jumping. Yeah. Well, no, maybe I wouldn't seriously. jump, but I don't want to sail there's, Yeah, there's so much. No, but that's the great thing is because you're trapped. Like, you can't, like you said, I, I, I would jump, but it's like, there's no jumping. Like, you're jumping into it. You're, like... Oh, there's so much horror to be had there. And and I love, um, you know, so many scientists used to say, all oh, those sea monsters, all those, oh, they saw mermaids. It's just dumb, like, old folktales, legends. But um, nowadays, there's so many ships traversing every inch of the ocean all the time. But no one's looking overboard. They're all in their nice cabins and they're, you know, uh, like, in beds and stuff. No, no one is, like, constantly at the level of the seawater looking down like sailors were. And so that's why some of these things, like, people assume that, like, some of these old sailors saw uh, these huge tentacles of massive uh, giant squid before our scientists did because they were just out at night looking more often than we are. And it just takes hours and hours. It's so rare. Right. Well, that is, uh, that's just the (laughs) kraken we're talking about. There's also, in 5e, the dragon turtle, which is neither a dragon... And is only a turtle. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the dragon turtle. That the famous one is in uh, the Five E Adventure Tomb of Annihilation. It's like guarding the bay. Oh yeah. Um, and I think it asks for a uh, tithe or like an offering, and you just pour gold over over the edge of the of the vessel, <laughs> and it determines like what's enough gold, and then you can pass into the harbor. I think I think the real question here is: Would you rather? Fight a hundred dragon-sized turtles or one turtle-sized dragon. Oh, one uh, turtle-sized turtle dragon, size please. Dra- you, you phrased the question wrong, you fool. <laughs> I will easily fight a small lizard. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I, uh, I'm, a, next, I'm special. Next. Yeah, we're out of here. 
Um, oh man. Uh, we've talked about octopi a lot, which are great. Um, all right, ships. So ships. yeah. So so uh, the next obvious thing uh, for a pirate when you think of pirate campaigns, bananas. Okay. <laughs> And cut. <laughs> no, so, so the next thing you, you obviously think of is the massive sailing vessel, the pirate ship. Um, so let's talk about ships. All right, where do we, you want to begin? So obviously naval combat uh, is something that is, is very, it's very interesting. Because when you think of ships, um, well, if we're going to dive into naval combat, we got to dive into the gunpowder question. Uh-oh. Which is a surprisingly big question because it, it, it feels like these things fit together, right? Pirates with, you know, shooting their cannons. And then meanwhile, they're adventurers in dungeons with torches and uh, swords and shields. But those are very different eras. And if there are, if there are pirate ships shooting cannons, then there's going to be people with flintlock muskets, like flintlock uh, pistols and, and huge muskets. And so it's like, you really have to ask, like, uh, does gunpowder exist in your world yet? Um, and that's a, that's an important question that, that a lot of people, I, I've seen a lot of campaigns that just have uh, pirate ships with cannons, but then they'd have no other gunpowder at all used on the mainland. <laughs> well, and it's like, you got to ask that question. So for me, it's, uh, what if you have, to get around this, you have magic sourced, like, siege weapons on ships so instead of like a cannon you have like an object that's kind of like a giant rod of fireballs Mm -hmm. that you just yeah that's a creative way around it like i think that'd be fun like you have different you could have different spells that you launch out i think in uh eberron in the canon the idea of wands are just it's just magic concentrated into like one wooden Guns. object. And so yeah. there's no limit to how big of a wand you can build. So their siege weapons are just like a tree that they knocked down, enchanted for years, <laughs> and is now just like spewing like 18 fireball spells per turn. That's funny. And, I'm, and it's technically just a giant wand. Well, there's also oh, uh, like there's cool. a spell called catapult, mm-hmm. which can essentially throw like objects pretty quickly at people. I don't know if it's a cantrip or first level spell. I don't remember it's off the top of my head. But if it's a cantrip, that'd be fun to have, like, you you could essentially have just, like, these metal, like, tubes that you just shove something down and then you just, like, magically activate it and catapult it out. I've always used it before my world had gunpowder, which is now ages ago, uh, is, like, I always use ballistas, like, big, heavy crossbows and, like, harpoons Mm -hmm. um, to kind of get around that. And that actually made it a little more fun, you know, because someone could man the harpoon and it wasn't just like this rows and rows and rows of cannons. Like it, the sea battles felt more intimate. I mean, like mm-hmm. they were in uh, in like pre gunpowder times. Naval battles were horrific. I don't think there's very good. We don't have a good like zeitgeist. Like our culture doesn't understand how horrific these battles were. Like um, in the Greco, uh, what was it the the Persian the Greco Persian War, uh, like. I think it was after Thermopylae uh, and the Athenians and the Spartans had their Navy defending against the Persian Navy and the Persian Navy comes in and they just get wrecked and they also are hit by a storm around the, around the, the point at the same time. And so it's estimated that like hundreds of thousands of men drown oh, and like, imagine that imagine just like over the course of 24 hours, hundreds of thousands of men drowning. Like it's, it's horrific. 
But like back then, like the naval battles were just kind of ramming into each other. And then like men with spears and shields would just try to board. And it's, it's very different than like, we have this very Victorian England kind of regal. Okay. Line up fire, you know, and it's, it's way different than like the historical naval battles in the past with a pre gunpowder. It changes the game. Oh yeah. If you imagine a man getting hit in the chest with a cannonball on the deck of a ship, um, it's a very different tone than any of the movies we've seen. And giant harpoon. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And so I think it's just an important question to ask. Um, cause like we all imagine pirate ships with, with, gunpowder cannons you have to be like if that's real then like soon your players are going to be asking for revolvers (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah uh sidebar here i think it's funny how people seem to think that as soon as black powder's invented like we have revolving chamber uh oh yeah yeah and like you know we just skip right past the um the flintlock yeah or even before that like when you have you have the tray of gunpowder and the fuse burns in and it's like basically holding a bomb in your hand that just shoots (laughs) a projectile yeah Yeah. if you're like trumpet like shotgun (laughs) that you would just like shove stuff into (laughs) i love and anyone who plays civilization six looking at you david uh the the whole concept of the pike and shot where it really is just like you have this big like halberd and like everyone lines up and, like, you have one shot. Like, everyone shoots their musket. And then they just hold their musket like a huge battle axe for the rest of the battle. And so it's really interesting how, like, yeah, we we do, in fantasy, skip over that kind of Renaissance-era flintlock early. Like, you're just as likely for the flintlock to blow up in your hand than you are for it to shoot the guy <laughs> ten feet away. <laughs> right. I'm going to stick with my magic missile that never misses. <laughs> well, another thing that's, that's really fun, kind of... Uh, ending that our gunpowder discussion maybe i mean we could talk about gunpowder forever but uh the whole idea of a blunderbuss and like just shoving random crap in it and like it's basically just like this bowl and you put like uh gunpowder in the bottom and then all you put like broken forks and knives rocks and uh rocks and yeah pieces of driftwood whatever you just shove it in there and then you light the fuse and it really is just like this this shotgun like primitive shotgun that just I think I, I expect that a blunderbuss would mostly just incapacitate most of the time because it's so inaccurate in such a widespread. Um, if you get shot like at, at any distance greater than like you know a few yards, um, you you would go down. But I don't think it would necessarily pierce organs. It would just ruin the rest no. of your life. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think the goal was they'd use that on people who are trying to board. Because the goal wasn't really to, to kill them. It was just to get them just enough incapacitated they fall into the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy to think about. Like, imagine that. Like, you have a bunch of forks and knives and pebbles stuck in your flesh. Um, and you hit the water. And you're bleeding. And sharks. no one thinks about how many sharks are there. Like, oh my gosh. Like, just a feeding frenzy of... Oh, like, yeah, that adds more to the drama. It's like, okay, if I fall in, crap, I'm going to have to swim, or, oh, I get to take my armor off and not drown. But it's like, now there are sharks. Bringing it back to ships, um, depending on what type of adventure you want to run, you could be either the pirates or the pirate catchers. But I think there is something to be said. Um, okay, maybe we should pitch, like, a setting, a campaign setting, so we can actually get pretty specific here. Because imagine you are sent into this area... And all the islands are populated by like really savage orcs or or kobolds or something that's they're they're objectively evil okay. and deserving uh, of death. Uh, okay, well we'll 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 imagine that. <laughs> 
Well, imagine some people aren't worth saving, Will. Goblins aren't people. Ah, <laughs> uh, no! Hard disagree. You, you, you know what, Will? It's because you're a Calvinist. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Some people aren't worth saving. <laughs> oh. Well, God some people some. are not people. Gnolls <laughs> uh, are literally spawns. Uh, their hyenas turn into like humanoids by a demon. Like, what's to love? We're not talking about ghosts. We're talking about goblins. And who doesn't love grab grab? So, yeah, okay. So, so imagine the scenario. You said, like, there's this tribal uh, orcs and kobolds and stuff on the island. Go on. What was next? Yeah, and and we're just going to have a campaign based on raiding settlements. Like, we're just going to go knock them out. And maybe you could do that with negotiation, if you're clever, or um, just firing cannons on them from the bay. So, Uh, you're just... Effectively, uh, what do they say? Privateers. You are... Hired by so raiding coastal the, the people in charge to so go raid I would, coastal settlements. I would say those are very different things because uh, privateers were people that served. They were basically mercenaries. Yeah, they were just yeah. a navy for hire. Um, sold a, a navy, seamen of fortune, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, that's going to be our quote at the end. <laughs> um, but like uh, raiding was much more primitive and much more simple this was more viking like okay we're out of food all right time to head to denmark <laughs> and just like <laughs> you, and you just go and a lot of times it's very interesting how people would deal with raiding um is they would uh a lot of times just pay them off hmm. they'd go okay here's the vikings and they send out like their merchant or their ambassador like good evening welcome to denmark um here's ten thousand gold Jeez. go raid the next village over and the vikings would be like okay or they'd be like, Give, make it 15 and we have a deal. Uh, it's very interesting. But um, the rating is more, yeah, I, I would I would, I would, would separate those. But I, yeah, that is a different theme than like, hmm. I guess this is how much other people are involved. Like how how many organizations are involved? Like are you in a port uh, where there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of rules and a lot of smuggling, anti-smuggling rules? Or are you in like the, like you, you were talking about like the orc tribal just go raid whoever you want. They technically aren't human, so go Wait, ahead. are you playing as orcs, or are you raiding orcs? So, maybe I need to change uh, the objective here. Because I feel like raiding is hard to encourage players to do. Like, oh, you don't have resources. You need to go kill these people for theirs and burn their houses down. Like, that feels bad. Um, but maybe it's like you are in a village, and then all the raiding boats appear on the horizon, and they just... It's the orcs coming to kill you. Yeah. Like, that's more interesting. And then you get to go and push them back and chase after them and follow them home and kill them, which is great. Yeah. I, I think it's important just in general to, to get the organizations down. Because um, the, the high seas, despite them being the high seas, like, anywhere around the coast or islands are oftentimes going to have, like, kind of zones of control. Mm-hmm. So you want to understand, like, first thing when you're making a campaign is, like, okay, are they going to have to find their own ship? Are they the crew of the ship? Is one of the characters a captain of the ship already? Um, and kind of decide, because that, that plays out very, very different. Um, my personal favorite way of doing it is making the players start out as crew members on a ship. Um, and so that's how they, they meet each other. They've been part of the crew for maybe a while, or maybe some of them are new recruits. Um, and then, then obviously tragedy strikes, and maybe the captain, the first mate, die or something like that. And then slowly they can kind of rise through the ranks and eventually rest control and kind of be in charge of, of the vessel that they were once serving on. Hmm, I like that. That way, initially, they don't have to make all these big decisions because uh, seemingly, uh, in my experience, players just sail away from trouble uh, instead of risking anything. Absolutely. But when a captain and, and says, I, like, you have to do this, then 
Oh, yeah. I, I love there being an authority figure, and I also love the players starting off with very little agency and gaining agency as they level up. Mm-hmm. I think there's a natural progression of like, okay, we're more powerful, we can now make our own choices, we can defend ourselves. Um, you know, it, it becomes more... Uh, the, the player agency starts to shape the plot more later on. And I like kind of reining them in the beginning, like not necessarily a railroad, but like a initial situation where they're stuck together, this sort of thing. And then they get to choose later on as the captain dies or the ship gets attacked or the the campaign progresses, they get more agency. Mm. So I think another thing to consider is the size of the ship. That changes everything, right? Are your players like just on a, a what do they call it, a skiff? Like a, 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 like a, a boat? Small little thing or a, like a galleon? Yeah. Or... yeah, or are they on like a massive ironclad or ship? Or a schooner like, or... All of this changes and changes dramatically what kind of campaign you're going for. Um, and it also de- it determines the size of the crew. You know, if you're going to be on a, a ship with 100 people on it, like this huge imperial galleon, like every – you're going to be playing a lot of different NPCs that are a part of this ecosystem of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, uh, determining the size of the ship um, it determines a lot as well. Can you imagine having a hundred names on a list? And you're like, oh, in this last battle, three guys died. So it's uh, Murphy and uh, Prod and uh, Gilble Gobble the Goblin who smuggled aboard. But it's Ooh, fine. So that's a human. two souls were lost that day. <laughs> As we mentioned in our Star Wars special, um, your ship is your home base in that, and the same goes for a pirate adventure. So if you're um, buccaneers, uh, privateers, whatever you want to be uh, in the campaign, maybe you don't have a port you call home, but everything on your ship is like your home. Like a mobile home. <laughs> I, I think this is a really underrated part of, of pirate adventures, because like having your home base, your your private stronghold that you get to defend that is also your home that can go anywhere is like really cool. It's like, it's really nice to be able to have this home base where you can take your long rests at, and it makes sense. Um, I love the idea of the ship being your home. I like the idea that um, during a short rest, like you set a course at the end of every adventure, and then you're there the next time. Or um, maybe you have a a separate inventory sheet, and it's like, what is in your little bunk area? Like, here's what you can hold. And so the players get to really imagine the space that they return to. Or that if yeah. you lose your ship, you lose your home. Oh, and all of the people on oh, it, like the NPCs, yeah. really are the thing that makes it feel alive. And so when For you sure. get to see the same people all the time. Okay, so here's my example. So in this, in the last campaign, um, actually my current campaign that I'm running, um, they it mostly takes place in this one town, and they just sort of go out and do stuff, and they always come back to that town. And uh. I didn't plan this, but the players. Are, are very near and dear to these NPCs. Like, they see them all the time. And so uh, I was thinking, like, oh, what if a raid came through or what if I, like, wanted the players to move on? Um, but it would feel terrible because... It'd be too much, yeah. It's, it's it, like their home. Yeah. I think repetition, and, like, like honestly, I, I harp on this all the time, like, repetition, the more sessions you can play, the better. Like, this... You build up this this thing and it becomes... You have this nostalgia, you have this care, you have this empathy for the characters that... You know, you might not have for uh, for someone. Okay, so I introduce. I got a, a quick aside. I introduce a character in Dungeon of the Mad Mage who's like a, a ancient Egyptian kind of treasure hunter, um, and so he's like plundering tombs and stuff. And he is kind of like the players meet him, 
that he's they they hit it off and he's like kind of guiding them helping them get to the, the end and to get out to the next level of the dungeon of that mage and he was killed by this half scorpion centaur guy and just like was cut in half because he crit on him and just cut him in half and my players were like oh sweet that's uh 500 more gold for each of us and i'm like what the fuck like, are you, you guys are monsters. <laughs> like, but it, I realized it's because they had known him, like, in-game for, like, 20 minutes. Mm. And so that's why it wasn't as impactful. Um, and so, yeah, that repetition builds up. And so having the ship with the same crew that you're interacting with, you can start having inside jokes with. They all know who's the, 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 the weird accent that the DM does for, like, the, the cook. Like, it's just, it's delightful. And it just adds so much flavor to the game. Well, I just remember uh, in one of Will's games, there were a lot of memorable NPCs. There was the the, the kid. Oh, was, Foxy? Yeah, Foxy was just good at everything. <laughs> well, I mean, he was willing to try anything. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't really that good. He was pretty decent compared to some of the other, like, gross characters. <laughs> yeah, okay. So this is a weird kind of mechanical disconnect between what players perceive and what is real. Because um, I had this little kid who was just based on Chunk from the Goonies. <laughs> Super enthusiastic, like, 12-year-old kid. And um, his stats were, like, a CR 1-8 bandit or whatever, like, this super low-level thing. So he had just terrible to hit. He did, like, 1d6 damage if he hit. He probably successfully hit two times in the entire campaign and dealing a total of four <laughs> damage. Like, he's terrible. But everybody's like, yay, Foxy! Do it, buddy. Yeah. You're doing great. And I think, didn't he get killed by like an acid dragon or something? Oh my. Everybody was real sad that day. No, you're thinking of it because you used them twice. <laughs> oh, okay. So there was the one campaign, which was the Hoshin like hex scroll. Yes. And that's the one that I'm thinking of. Oh, on the island? Yeah, the island one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I reuse characters sometimes. Oh, yeah. If they're that good. Um, the last thing I want <laughs> to say, uh, what were we talking about? Um, oh, okay. Home base. Home base. So in Mass Effect, you have a ship that you are on, and mm -hmm. almost every time you're on this ship, you get to forward the stories with the characters. Like, they're having new things happening in their lives that you can oh, interact with. Oh, I love with. that, yeah. And so that's kind of the feel I would go for, is like, because if you have 100 people, like, on the Mass Effect ship, you had 100 people, but you really can talk to, like, six of them, because they're the ones that actually matter. Um, yeah. Because none of them are goblins. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> Um, but you just, you go around and you talk to them and you have like these connections with people. So yeah, definitely aim for, for that. Yeah. The, the crew, the home base, something that just feels familiar and you care about. Um, and like, like I said earlier, it also acts as this base of operations to where like, say you're deep in the jungle and like, oh crap, we awakened a, a crab god, not again. And it's like, okay, we got to get back to the ship. Like that feeling of like, we got to get back to the ship <laughs> is such a dramatic moment. It's also like a timer. Um, oh, yeah, it, it works so good. I think the ship is such an important part of pirate uh, adventures. Ooh, that brings, that brings up, that's a, that's a funny point because I always think of like in Star Wars whenever they like run back to the ship. Is Star Wars a pirate adventure in space? It is actually a swashbuckling-based um, fantasy adventure. I would say. I would say it is. Because, so, the, the thing about the similarities between space and the sea, I think are pretty... Uh, pretty darn similar. They're, they're, pre they're pretty darn similar. Because there is this kind of uh, void of the ocean. 
um, and the void of the of the literal void of space. And there are these just kind of like, uh, what do you call it, like point crawl mm-hmm. or like island crawl. Yeah. There really are, and especially in Star Wars, like each planet acts essentially as a mono-environment island. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're they're very similar. And like you said, that, that swashbuckling adventure of going mm-hmm. to different ports that have their distinct flavor uh yeah it's 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 very much similar to pirates <laughs> well then essentially this is our second pirate episode <laughs> or, yeah yeah definitely um the last thing i want to talk about is trade elements because it was a big part of this now i'm not saying you're gonna get a spreadsheet being like i have you know three bat barrels of corn and three bushels of whiskey and all this stuff but maybe bushels of bushel i want a bushel of whiskey um I think it could be interesting to be uh, to award treasure in the form of trade goods, um, but you keep it really narrative, right? So if you're imagining, since it's Star Wars, I guess uh, one of the ports is controlled by like this Jabba the Hutt character. We'll call him um, Habba, and Habba gives Habba you the jet. Habba the Jut gives you some um, really illegal. I don't know. Let's say a, a bunch of crates. Oh, ragweed, ragweed. I was going to say a bunch of crates of wands of fireball. And, oh. And uh, right, because now you're hauling like dynamite, essentially. And then That's great. And you have to take it somewhere, right? And then all the shenanigans you get into because people want this highly valuable magical um, shipment. Oh, and you, you got to be careful about being hit because that could just blow up. Yeah. Or yeah. even better, maybe you were just doing, you know, a standard uh, pirate snag and grab. And, and you upon, <laughs> upon that ship was uh, being smuggled. A crate of one of fireballs, and it's and it's owned by Habba the Jet. Yes, and, and he, now he's mad at and you, and he's mad, and he's coming after you. So you yes. see, like with just one interaction and some trade elements, so you pissed off the pirates <laughs> and the Empire because you have illegal goods and the pirates, and the goods are super dangerous. We yeah. just created a great plot hook. Yeah, it's deli- there There's there's hooks everywhere. There's danger everywhere. There's drama everywhere. It's delightful. Yeah, yeah. It's delightful. I'm gonna call these hooks fish hooks. <laughs> the the other thing to remember with with trade goods is um oftentimes uh with with piracy and just like on the high seas in general these islands are so remote that you don't really have to have a standardized 10 bushels of wheat is worth 5 silver like you don't have to have that because you know they go uh suddenly you show up with a bunch of wine to sell mm-hmm. and you're like oh we're going to be rich and maybe the pirates like Sorry, bud. Someone came in with wine yesterday. Price is half. Oh no! You know, like, like, like you can kind of, as a dungeon master, control the fluctuation of the prices, um, because they're on these isolated islands or ports that are um, not part of this bureaucratic, you know, empire, republic, or kingdom or whatever. Yeah, standardized trade doesn't exist when you're in exactly uh, the wild yeah, west. It's, it, it's not standard. No, but you also have to yeah. be careful because you don't want to troll your players too much and. Because uh, oh, imagine course, every yeah. time they go into a port and, you know, the price, the pro- sorry, bud, the price is a quarter. We had three shipments coming yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I no, would be there very pissed off balance. as a player. Like, why am yeah. I getting all this? Yeah, there's a fine balance. Because you want, it, it feels good um, to be able, especially for freaking power gamers like you, David, to look in the book and be like, no, 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 no. A light crossbow is this many copper. Give me my light crossbow, right? But it's like, if you look at a a Dungeon Master's world, there's so many factors that go into a price that I actually am kind of mad that they gave prices even in, like, the player's handbook for stuff. Mm. Because it's it's just, like... What era are we in? Like, is if is this early medieval? Is this Stone Age? Is this Renaissance? Like, is this like? There's a trillion different factors that determine the price. Um, but yeah, you do have to balance with your players, like how market economies work. And holy crap, we could do a whole episode on 
economies, which, holy, I, I guess I, I really want I to do I guess we now. need to now. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's what's next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When George R. R. Martin, who you may have heard of, uh, was writing Game of Thrones, he wanted every castle to be memorable and distinct. And by George, he did it. Because uh, if you look at any of these locations, you're like, wow, Winterfell is so different than King's Landing, is so different than yeah. um, any anywhere else. Um, and I think that your ports should be the same, like Absolutely. highly flavored, highly distinct. Um, instead of it's like, oh, here's another, like here's Port Town X3796. <laughs> it's the exact same as the last one. Dude, that's my problem with, uh, oh my gosh, sorry, what's that, what's that game that, uh, with the infinite generation, No Man's Sky. Oh. That's my problem with Snow Man's Sky is everything. And they have to be. With a game that big, it's all algorithms. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're seeing the algorithm. And it's just this tasteless, flavorless thing. Yeah, it's got no depth. And yeah. So do the do the opposite of that. Yeah. Each port they go to make it incredibly uh, interesting or distinct. And we've talked about this before. Like make three, maybe even just one main thing where it's like oh yeah that's the uh the port with the huge active volcano around oh it. yeah or or like um oh yeah that's the one with that's uh patrolled by a bunch of witches all the time <laughs> like just this yeah, one is a, run by a genie <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's a bunch of different things I, I think the the main thing that really got me excited about just ports in general and i think it's a, an example of 5e really nailing it is in tomb of annihilation port nianzaru mm-hmm. is so flavorful like True. the way they explain it, like they have the the, the flavor text, and it just it, it really is the the flavor is to flavor text, um, where it talks about like the cacophony of sounds and smells and the different language, and you see people riding dinosaurs that are hauling trailers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's like whoa! Like you're like I'm, blo- this place is so unique and interesting and awesome, um, and so doing that to each port. Uh, t- takes barely any effort, but it can be so satisfying for the players to experience. Yeah. All right, let's move into types of enemies slash encounters to have uh, on the coast or on the high seas. All right. So uh, playing with the water, obviously, is, is important because it, it kind of is like this automatic, um, like, darkness spell. Like the, uh, yeah, like it's just like counts as magical darkness that like you can't see through. There's always this veil of oh, what could be below us. So using that to your advantage, surprise from the deep is is great. I think one of my favorites that are so, um, they're terrifying at uh, lower levels, like just, just horrifying, but they, they still can be delightful as a dungeon master at, at higher levels is sea hags. Um, oh, yeah. Like, oh, God, just they have the seaweed hair and they're kind of this this gross pale blue color and they look horrific. And and, and their uh, ability, I think it's called Death Glare, that you can down someone if they just fail a con save or something like that or a wisdom save. Mm-hmm. It's just so – it's always in play. Like, even if a sea hag walks up to you and you're, like, level 20, there's still a chance you get a nat 1 and, like, are just down even though you have, like, a 200 health. <laughs> like, oh, they're – probably one of my most used creatures and one of my favorites yeah and i think you could build a, a little adventure here where maybe there's an island and you know that there's a sea hag there and she has all of her little minions and you have um like a low-key horrifying experience sounds great so i had this idea and i don't know how to do it but imagine 
we have a, a Scooby-Doo twist halfway through. Maybe the sea hag actually turns out to be an illusion wizard living on an island doing dark experiments. And um, I think at some point when the players like are retreating or they're trying to get back to their boat, their their boat blows up. And so then they have to stay on the island. But it turns out the boat did not blow up. It was an illusion spell that just is made to make you feel trapped. And... Oh yeah, right. Because because if it's their home base, this lets you have this kind of like, oh my gosh, that's all of our stuff, oh all of our gosh. friends. But then of course, dude, it's just an illusion. That's so good. I mean, I've done that before. I've talked about like with with simulations and superhero games. They're just so fun mm-hmm. to trick. Okay, have you guys seen the new Spider Man? David has not. No, no spoilers. Okay. But I no, know no, just but, what like, you're thinking. You, I mean, you know what Mysterio's kind of thing is. Um, David does not. This, okay, like you haven't even heard of him as like a Spider Man villain. David has not. Oh, okay, then, yeah, then, uh, well. Yep. Tally-ho, my friend. <laughs> I, I know, I'm, like, itching to, like, just bust yes, out. Yes, because I know, yeah, because I know the the way they played on him, like, is, is very interesting in comparison to his lore. And mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk to you guys once David's Yeah. Season. Oh, well, naturally, next we got to talk about water elementals. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, if you've seen Moana, Disney's Moana, uh, they have, like, uh, volcano elemental stuff in there. So you could definitely do some of that, um, like, molten... Lava, rock, water—really, um, probably every element is at play. Elementals are—they're yeah—they're pretty—they're a solid villain because they have a lot of um, you know obviously there there's ways of like they have certain immunities and resistances and yeah I think they they're really fun. Um, I think there's something called a water weird mm-hmm. that's like mm-hmm. a, a water elemental too. Like oh man yeah there's there's some creative stuff you can do like if you have a leak in your in your ship and it's filling with water. You're like, oh crap! We gotta we gotta plug the leak, but then suddenly the water starts rising into humanoid forms. You're like, oh crap! <laughs> this suddenly got a lot worse. <laughs> um, so yeah, water elementals, oh delightful. I want to have a seaweed elemental. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm imagining uh, the guy from Avatar, the yes, last Airbender. Yes, He's like that's the, what I was the thinking. Kind of, the like rural, like Louisiana drawl the type vine guy. Elemental? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. That was so cool. Because yeah. yeah. weren't they? Uh, they were waterbenders who were bending water. They're waterbenders who they bend in the the, the water in the in the vine in the vines, which is super cool. Oh, dude, can we just like get a get a retweet for Avatar: The Last Airbender being one of the greatest shows ever put on film? Dude, oh that's my a God. world yeah. right there. Yeah, that really a is a good show. Yeah. All right. Um, so other things. So obviously we talked about the sea monsters coming up from the deep. Um, there's all this kind of like unexpected stuff under this veil of darkness that is the deep ocean. But also you can have encounters that involve attacks from above. So what are some some flying monsters that can like attack your ship? Stuff like that. A giant pelican. <laughs> pelican element. That's actually terrible. Like I don't lo- – low-key pelicans are pretty – gross like they have those yeah, huge dude. just gullets and whenever <laughs> they like like imagine a giant pelican scooping people up out of the sea and you're like stuck in there like and then beak you see, mouth like thing. humanoid forms shining through like the sun reflecting in the gullet like, oh, oh that's a, that's a great <laughs> moment and then you get dumped into like a nest of other pelican type oh, babies and they like baby, feed baby, you into and then the baby pelican they're feeding your bits into the baby gullets baby oh, gullets. What, okay what a world so, dude. yes um with the underwater stuff, really, you just filter on d and Beyond your monster searches by aquatic or, or sea or water. And any creature there can be used. But um, also, almost any flying creature can be used, including flying kobolds. But I want to talk oh. about my favorite four, which would be 
Um, the first is harpies, because this gives me this kind of Homer's Odyssey mythological feel where you have these terrifying, hideous uh, female kind of forms that are just uh, squawking and throwing spears or grabbing you. And um, I mean, all I got to do is fly up high enough and drop you into the water and you die. Like, this is great yeah. fun. Great fun. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I love harpies. I love the idea of um, I think Matt Mercer played with this in his second season, The Critical Role with um, how bad it is for harpies to destroy your sails. Hmm. Uh, which is a really interesting thing because he was going by the book, I think at the time off of the uh, uh, Unearthed Arcana 5e stuff for like ship rules um, right. that was like leading into uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Um, and so he was like, okay, you can travel this many miles because of this type of sail. Like he was doing the math. And uh, the Harpies showed up and like they just got some good rolls and just started destroying the sails. And, you know, the players eventually defeated them, and they're like, okay, nice. But then Matt's like, okay, your your voyage is now going to take twice as long. According to the Monster Manual, the Harpy also has the um, uh, luring song of a siren, also oh, yeah. from mythology, um, where they basically charm you and make you just walk off the boat or, or walk into their lair or whatever, uh, which is actually really dangerous when you've got 100 crewmen who are now all charmed by Oh, harpies. dude. That's such a that's such a good part of Greek mythology when you like tie me to the mast and close my eyes like oh mm. yeah the 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 siren song oh it's yeah harpies yeah I love uh, unique like I was talking about with the sea hag like with the with the death glare like any creature that has a unique way of just throwing a wrench in anything oh it's completely wonderful like imagine I'm imagining I don't know why I'm imagining this like a a harpy a sea hag, and an illithid. Just those three. Hmm. And, like, the crazy stuff they can do with the psionic and the death glare and the siren song. Like, <laughs> you can mess with a party real bad. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> I think if you're going to populate some uh, outlying islands with things that are objectively evil that need to die, that that triple combo. That trifecta yeah. is pretty scary. I'm just imagining, like, the Davy Jones version of an illithid. Where it's like was, spoilers, spoilers for uh, uh, Waterdeep Dungeon of the Bad Mage, because there is one in there. Oh, that's right. That is right. It's oh. literally a like pirate illithid that just yeah. What, oh, <laughs> what uh, floor is that on, Jake? Hmm. Oh, it's high. It's I think it's floor sixteen. Didn't even know that. So my players, my players on floor thirteen, I think. So they'll meet him soon if you're listening, players. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, or her uh, name? Her name? I, don't, I don't know the name. I just know that the art is really good that I've seen. It's like this huge trifle like pirate hat and just yeah. Oh spooky. Um okay, so yeah, other things, uh I mean, you're really it's it's crazy to think how vulnerable you are on a ship. And so even like a dragon attacking uh is like really just I mean, a dragon can wreck a ship, as we've seen in debatably realistic terms in the final season of game of thrones i don't know but uh we saw that uh some big crossbows can wreck a dragon so well yeah I, depending on the the right airs <laughs> and if um, you aim correctly oh <laughs> uh, but but yeah plot armor and stuff factors into that but like dragons in general like oh my gosh can you imagine like you're in the middle of the ocean you've been traveling for like a week maybe two weeks and it's like this thing is coming at us can breathe fire can destroy our sails and what are we going to do? Are we going to paddle to the island? <laughs> like, are we going to, 
oh yeah there, there's a lot of um resource threats that i think it's important as a dungeon master to uh add into your pirate campaigns like running out of food running out of water uh catching weird uh diseases like that are obscure like uh scurvy, scurvy. Um, I mean, yeah, your sails being damaged, your hull being damaged, like running out of cannonballs, running out of ballista, like all these things can like add this kind of tax that it ups the tension and drama. So I think we should talk about pirate backgrounds. Like what are some unique um, types of characters that you can make in a pirate setting that might not necessarily fit on like a mainland overland dungeon delving setting what are some unique pirate backgrounds characters well so in the interest of using as much of the 5e material as possible in the ghosts of salt marsh they give you four new uh, nautical salty backgrounds <laughs> so um those are the fisher the marine the shipwright and the smuggler so we'll go through these kind of in more detail oh okay mm-hmm. um so this is fun so the fisher is our first one um yeah <laughs> It says, uh, once a day, you to tell a fishing tale. Yes, I'm in. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's a D8 table. And um, basically, oh, please it, read it some, works like please. a charm. I haven't read this. Uh, okay, so uh, how about you roll, or just pick a number between one and eight for me. We'll say five. All right, five is the Nemesis Clam. A large clam containing a pearl the size of your head claimed one of your fingers before jetting away. And one day, you'll find that clam. Oh, that's so good. We'll do one more. Oh, my gosh. One more. Yeah, eight. Okay, eight is the love story. You fell in love with a creature made of pure water, but your brief romance ended tragically. Oh my god, I love it. I love it. Oh. Oh. These are, yeah, it's, and it's so specific. Like, if you did this, like, imagine if you're like, okay, I'm a triton that, like, has this kind of fisherman tale of, like, I fell in love with the water elemental stuff. Like, it doesn't make any sense if you're just, like, a dungeon delving, like, in the forest. No. It's so specific to, to pirate. And then they have uh, their own sets, obviously, of uh, characteristics, so ideals, bonds, flaws, and personality traits um, that are all kind of nautical, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so that's awesome. that is the fisher, and also their um, their class feature is that if as long as you have fishing tackle and you have water, you can catch enough food to feed ten people every day. That's yeah. That's crazy. That's really helpful. Which once you again, water. yeah, it's solving a problem that D and D doesn't have of like what you know tracking food. Um, Marine, basically you're like a soldier on a boat. Yeah. All right, so you have a table called Hardship Endured. And uh, pick a number between one and six, Jake. Uh, Three. All right, three is Sacrifice. You enabled the escape of your fellow soldiers, but at a great cost to yourself. Some of your past comrades may think you're dead. That's a great Ooh, plot that's hook. Good. That could come by. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Be like, oh, Tracy, you're alive. I thought you'd been dead 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. In fact, I kind of want to give some of these backgrounds to NPCs in the world. Like, imagine the innkeeper's like, yes, my, my men believe I'm dead. Oh, yes. Dude, okay, have you, uh, on Vox Arcana, on the, the Twitter, uh, I shared a meme of, like, you know, it's like that guy bowing down, bestowing a sword to, like, this big dark entity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And, and so so it's that, and it says, like, me on the guy giving the sword. And the sword, it says, my my tragic backstory specifically for the dungeon master to use mm-hmm. to the dungeon master. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, it really is that. Like, like use this against Like, yeah, I love yeah, stuff like please that. Please use this Auto me. hooks. 
auto hooks, man. Yeah, because I don't. I mean, some people play D and D, misunderstanding that they need to win or the character needs to have the best outcome. But like, I'm all about having a tragic tale. Yeah, I want to be. Yeah, I. It's funny. I um was recently a character, like a guest character in one of my friends' games, and I made a character sheet uh, for him. His name was Memphis Jones. <laughs> And he was a, a spore druid turtle, snapping turtle, uh, and he had a minus one for constitution, and he was level two. <laughs> so he, I think he had ten health, level two. <laughs> That's terrible. Yikes! I know, I know. And so my friend, who's like kind of the min maxer of my group that I'm the DM for, like saw it in my truck, like saw the character sheet, and he's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was only going to be there for one session. I hoped, I, I hoped that I died." Like, like I was rooting for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is important that like you make your characters for the character. Um, and the optimization will obviously be there with 5e. Yeah. Um, if you make a semi-coherent character, but yeah. Uh, David is literally shaking with rage here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we've got two more backgrounds. I'll be quick. We have the shipwright, um, which is really just a person who knows about building ships uh he has life at sea and how it shaped him give me a number between one and six jake oh i'm gonna say i'm gonna say five. Ooh! all right mysteries of the deep you experienced an encounter with a possibly divine being while sailing alone work with your dm to determine the secret about the deep waters of the sea oh. that this entity revealed to you that's so good Sick. i love when it says Sick. work with the dm work with the dm work with the dm because really you should be doing that automatically but i mm-hmm. think it gives players that might be shy or mid-maxers or new to the game an opportunity to create a story hook with the dungeon master that could be amazing later on yeah i i agree with that it's um it's like it's giving people permission to work with the dm so they, they don't yeah. have to come up with it themselves I, it's great for sure the last one is yeah. the smuggler the han solo if you will um smuggler they have a claim to fame it sets them apart from other common criminals uh it's a d6 jake uh, i'm gonna say two all right uh Cart and sword. You drove a cart filled with stolen art through the middle of a battlefield while singing sea shanties to confuse the combatants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what delightful. A, such a specific oh. image. I know I love when they're like weirdly specific. Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like especially like I'm thinking of the bard tables when we did the bard class where it's like, you sang the song uh Jonathan's Big Toe to a group of, of a group of people and jonathan did not like it and then um their class feature for this uh, smuggler is they have um down low is what it's called where you can always find a safe house to stay at when you're in a port that's good yep that's good and obviously the main background that i mean they've already covered in the in the main thing is the sailor mm-hmm. uh in the in the main player's handbook uh which fits i mean come on right into this stuff um so. i don't think it fits at all sailor <laughs> nah <laughs> Do we have a rower? No. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So so really, there are some unique takes. Like you were talking about way earlier in the episode with like uh, adapting your spell casting uh, stuff to, to fit the spells. Like you can adapt your backstory to make it very specific to the ocean. And the same goes for magic items. Like imagine if I have oh, an yeah. immovable rod, but it's just like a femur, like a pirate's femur. Oh. And it extends out <laughs> like crazy. I'm imagining it like a peg leg. Oh, that's so good. And it's like engraved. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's just like Captain Dan's leg. You can you can reflavor like... any magic item to to be piratey. Oh, definitely. Oh, man. Mm. Um bag of holding. Okay. So, uh mm. so so 
let's let's now talk about obviously the thing that that is so enticing and adds to the the flavor and adventure is treasure buried treasure pirates treasure oh baby so let's talk about treasure let's definitely talk about treasure i think that the most important treasure to include in your games friendship. is the the friendship that you make along the way <laughs> Okay, hold on. One of the things that I saw on Reddit, uh, one of the favorite, uh, you can make like a flare for yourself. And one of the flares I saw was the true cause of World War One was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> because it's objectively true. Like alliances are what like caused World War One to be so bad. <laughs> it sounds like something that came out of an AI algorithm. <laughs> yes. I know, but it's like, it's still, it's like a double entendre. Oh man. Um... So I think treasure is very – I think it's weird how much pirate lore has infused into uh, D&D lore with just the idea of an open treasure chest full of gold. <laughs> like that kind of thing is like common for people trying to hoard gold or trying to hide gold. And of course it happens in the Middle Ages and stuff like that. But it really isn't as common as it seems. And I think we've pulled a lot of that. Like even the idea of a mimic – really works the best because we have this kind of idea of all treasure chests have gold in them. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's really interesting how much uh, that the idea of pirate treasure is just kind of baked into D&D. &D. Mm. And people hiding valuables and just like if you see a chest, there's gonna be gold in it. It's not just gonna have clothes that are rotted like most likely what it would be. But yeah, most of the time that's what it's <laughs> Yeah. Can we make so, yeah, treasure. So if I'm reflavoring treasure to be piratey, uh, first things first is that all potions are some type of alcohol, probably rum. Oh, yes, yes, like different, like kind of colored rum. Yep, yeah, yeah. Flair, it's a potion oh. of, of healing rum. <laughs> Isn't all rum truly healing oh. for a bit? Oh, what a what a piratey thing to say! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh. Um. Okay. So, so to finish us off, let's just talk about our inspiration for pirate games. Any anything that we can look at to enhance our campaign um that will that will add to it okay well if we're talking about like movies books tv yeah yeah sure okay well um my contribution is homer's odyssey the uh, the iliad oh uh, underrated ancient yes. ancient texts very interesting very fantastic uh they get to go to an island at one point with a evil witch named cersei who uh, turns homer's crew into pigs and then i believe she eats many of them so it's yes. uh, pretty hardcore stuff um but they, you know they they fight cyclops and sirens and yeah it's it's great fun. Um, so Homer's yeah. Odyssey, in spite of the lack of gunpowder, and maybe if your adventure doesn't have gunpowder, you could look at this to see how to handle uh, that. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to say real quick about Cyclops. Have you heard the why the uh, Greeks thought Cyclops was real? No. Mammoth skulls. Oh, if you they look have the one... at a mammoth skull, it has like a weird like it looks like a human a huge human skull. Um, without like, like there's a big opening in the right in the middle. I'm pulling up, like, a... look up a mammoth skull. It like, and so apparently, like Greek people found these skulls, these these, uh, oh. like artifacts of like archaeological like like mammoth skulls, and they thought, okay, this is just a huge guy with one eye. And it's the opening for the nostrils is what the the one eye looks like because they they have eye holes on the side of their head. And so they're seeing the nostril yeah. hole. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. And they think that's just the big eye for a cyclops. <laughs> it's all based yeah, on isn't that... misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, no, and yeah, and honestly, the, the whole thing goes with the uh, 
the whole idea of like dinosaurs and dragons. Like you're finding these huge skeletons. Imagine antiquity when they're like building the Great Wall of China. They're, they're removing all this earth and they're finding huge, immaculate, like archaeological dig sites of of these huge dinosaurs. They're like, oh, yep, dragons are real. Told you. Hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, so I, I think for me uh, in history, there's a lot of different examples of pirates that I mentioned earlier um, that you can draw from. Uh, I think, like, uh, Shang-Chi, uh, like, the greatest pirate of all time. She had a fleet of, like, 40,000 ships. Like, um, and all this, like, this eastern Pacific piracy is way different than the Pirates of the Caribbean. So looking into the history of that, there's a lot you can draw from. Um, another thing, uh, in Africa, there's these huge rivers in the Congo and in northern Africa that um, were just huge trade routes. Like, they were sending so many ships full of gold up and down. And these, eventually, these, there were, uh, like, locks in the river that were controlled by pirates. And they'd say, you got to pay this much to get past, or else, I mean, and then suddenly, like, a bunch of, of, of warriors would show up on each side of the river and say, that's now our stuff. Mm. Um, and so the idea of river piracy, I think, is really under underutilized in role-playing. I think there's some cool stuff for, like, river piracy, even lake piracy. It's always this kind of open high Swamp seas. piracy. Imagine, like, a campaign that's, like, a pirate-themed swashbuckling campaign, but you're a big ship in just a, a pretty big lake. <laughs> like, 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 it like changes Michigan. things. Yeah, like a, like a huge, like, like freshwater lake. It, it changes things, and there's still all the opportunity for that, but I think um, looking at history, piracy has take, taken many forms. Um, and so taking from history, uh, you can maybe infuse your game with stuff. You're like, whoa, that might not have thought of that. That's not like Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's still piracy and it can make it really fun. Um, just one correction, uh, New Yorker style correction. Um, Ching Shi, or, or yeah, Ching Shi, she did not have 40,000 ships, Jake. She had 40,000 men and about 300 ships. Okay, yeah, 40,000 men, yeah. But she was technically the most uh, successful pirate of all time. Yep. Uh, that I think you can listen to Historium episode four if you want to know more about her. She is incredible, and she has a character in Pirates of the Caribbean three based on her. She's like the empress, like the pirate empress, hmm. um, which is which is really cool. Yeah, that's but, cool. Um, okay, so what are some other inspirations for for pirate campaigns? You're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. James? We could go movies. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's always Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, absolutely. Um, the popular, um, the wonderful. I mean, here's the thing. My wife is a huge fan of those movies and all of them. <laughs> so I like the first three. Um, yeah. yeah. But like, dude, have you guys seen the newest one? Yes. yes. It's It feels very D&D. Oh. They're like after a trident and like despite its quality, like it feels much more like this kind of ridiculous, like it's a group of 15 over the top. Yeah. It is. It's over the top, but it feels like a group of fifteen-year-olds with an ambitious dungeon master. Did right? we? Did we see it together? <laughs> I think we did. Yeah. I, I thought it was better than number four, but it's it, interesting because it yeah. four went for the hyper uh, historical, mm -hmm. like with just adding a little bit of mermaids and fountain of youth, but then like Blackbeard, and yeah, it, they. I think they thrive more when they lean into like the fantastical absurdity <laughs> yeah and you know jack sparrow is like becoming a flanderized version of himself where oh for sure like in the first yeah. scene with the vault heist thing and i'm just like oh my like, god the plot the armor house. is so real for that character yeah. i'm just like okay it's yeah 
it's it's silly. But yeah, I think they're like Pirates of the Caribbean has shaped our perception of pirates to the idea. Okay, the one of the funniest memes that had me like just losing my crap laughing was uh it, it's Jake and the Neverland Pirates, the like kids show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's doing something like teaching morals, and it says something like "Don't steal from your friends. Pirates never steal." Oh, that's not true. And and I like saw that and just lo- I laughed so hard because it's like pirates have become so ingrained in our culture that like these little kid pirates are teaching morals about not stealing. <laughs> <laughs> the the like, irony, like the biggest historical oh irony, like gosh. ever. Yeah, so, um, yeah, pirates are, are ingrained in our culture. But uh, an- another one that I just love, one of my favorite movies, in my opinion, the best Disney movie, is Treasure Planet. I Ooh. feel like it combines the kind of space uh, with the, the the nautical themes that's just delightful. And and so that's where I get a lot of my flavoring of uh, kind of it's, – it's, it's a weird combination of, like, sci-fi and historical – nautical piracy that is just delightful to me i, I find treasure planet uh which i saw for the first time actually in the last like two years um, oh really the, like, the potential was so high but the execution just fell short enough that it just will never see anything like that again and I know. Um, but yeah i think there was parts of it that were really totally unique like in the start he's reading a book and it's like each page is a is a screen and yeah. just stuff you you would not see anymore. So it's so um, inventive. Yeah, yeah, very. And then like they're surfing in space because space isn't really space in that world. Yeah, um, dude. Oh, it's so. Oh, it's so. Yeah. So yeah, those those are some inspiration um, for pirates' nautical themed campaigns. Without further ado, let's do some random table talk. This week we okay. are designing a item uh by way of rolling on some tables that is going to fit into a pirate adventure so we're trying to make sure it's soaked in salt and brine <laughs> all right um, all right so these are the tables from chapter seven of the dmg uh if you want to follow along at home um actually i don't have the page number because i'm using D beyond so uh this first section is called who created it or what was it intended to use or who was intended to use it so d20 jake that is a one <gasps> Okay, this is good already. That one. This is Aberration. The item was created by aberrations in ancient times, possibly for the use of favored humanoid thralls. When seen from the corner of the eye, the item seems to be moving. Oh, so it's kind of like a, like a warlock packed weapon almost? Like, Could be. Could be. Getting Cthulian okay. vibes. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Love All right, uh, here's a detail from its history. Roll a d8. That is a four. Four is ornament. The item was created to honor a special occasion, inset gemstones, gold, or platinum inlays, and a gold or silver filigree adorn its surface. So some sort of a aberration ceremonial thing? Yeah. I, th- this we can store that and add later because there's a lot we can do with that depending on well, the context. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking um, already that somebody caught one of those tadpoles that like eat your brain and they put it in an amulet. And so, oh, yeah, so it wasn't... And it's, it's like, still alive, though? Of course though. it's still alive. And it's trying to oh eat your brain. Oh, my God, I hate this. All right, here's a... Oh, no. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, Here's yeah. a minor property. Roll a d20. That's an 11. 11 says, Sentinel, choose a kind of enemy... Or a kind of creature that that is an enemy of this item's creator. The item glows faintly when such creatures are within 120 feet. Hmm. So who are the Ooh. enemies of aberrations? I Everything. Mean, it, it, we could really just make it humanoids or maybe just humans like 
Because that would make this a really OP magic item if, like, you could, like, see any humanoids within 30 feet, like, with a glow. Yeah, jeez. I think I'm going to change this. We're going to go down to number nine, which is key, because it's sort of piratey. The item is used to unlock a container chamber vault or other entryway. Ooh, okay. That's much better. That's really good. So here's the thing. This is what random tables are for. They're for rolling. You're like, does that work? Okay, that's kind of cool. But then you, you just make... You pick the best one. Yeah, and I think having a yeah. key is like, now this became a MacGuffin for an adventure. Exactly. Yes. All right, let's go to the next one. What quirk does it have? Uh, D12. D12. That is a seven. Seven says metamorphic. The item periodically and randomly alters its appearance in slight ways. The bearer has no control over these minor alterations, which have no effect on the item's use. Hmm. Interesting. So... Imagining it just of... shifting into uh, different types of like amulets that have weird like aberrationy vibes. It's like this amorphous glass orb that always is like a tadpole of a, of a well, like a illithid spawn. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So remember Jack Sparrow's compass points in certain ways. What if um, you can use this to direct players? Like maybe it turns into like an arrow. Or an arrow. Oh, embossed. the illith. No, no, like the illithid is always swimming towards its parent or something oh, like that. Oh, yes, like, yes. Oh, so you just—that's good. That's it. So it's—it's it's not like metamorphing, but the thing inside is always directing. It's always like swimming towards a direction. Oh, that's really good. And I think it's really good in the beginning. They don't know why it's swimming towards a direction, hmm. but it is like they slowly figure out like, oh, that's what it's seeking. Oh, that's so gross. So oh. that is as far as our tables go. That was the uh, random magic. Item. Okay, so we have okay. enough already. Absolutely. So 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 there's this this gross baby illithid tadpole that's swimming in a like a constant bearing, like towards a direction. Mm-hmm. And really, this can go however the plot demands it needs. Yes, to, you know, which is I mean that's the best part of magic items. Maybe it's the key to an illithid's lair. Of course, of course. Oh, so it's maybe maybe okay. So if you get to the point. Like, yeah, it's got to crawl into a portion, and then that's what opens it up, is, like, the prodigal son returning. Oh. <laughs> like, I don't know. Oh! <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is... This is well, so, uh, one thing that I noticed with this... So, it's encased in this this glass orb. It's probably pretty decently sized. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things is... So, you guys know I'm notoriously... Uh, I like to punish natural ones more than most people do. <laughs> Um, and so this is like, this goes to the top of my list of like punishable nat one rolls because this thing cracking open and then the tadpole gets out or something like could be so flavorful and dramatic and disgusting. Devastating. Cause then a yeah. person loses their mind if it gets yeah, in their well, head. Well, like, yeah, it, it like, you now have a, you now have like a baby illithid encounter on top of whatever encounter you're in that you rolled a nat one in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. So good. So so let's think. What's the name? What's the name of this thing? Oh well. So they said it was an amulet, like a ceremonial amulet. Uh, do you want it to be just more like a glass orb, like a compass? Yeah, like something that was like tied to the person, like maybe just hanging from their hip. Like imagine seeing a pirate, and they just have like this weird oblong glass orb that's kind of always changing shape. But there's like this little gross purple tadpole in it that's always mm. moving around. Oh, it, it fits the flavor of nautical, like, pirate, spooky, Lovecraftian so much. Well, so if this was a real magic item, I would call it the Aberrant Compass. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. that's so good, and it's it's heir to mystery. Okay, so 
if a player picks this up, they're going to be disgusted, and they might just try to kill the tadpole. So what does it do? What aura of magic does it provide to the, the wearer or the, the holder that makes it worth carrying at all times? You always know directions. Okay, and imbues you like with the uh, inherent sense of direction. And I think increases it's be your intelligence. I think it's got to be, but yeah, I think maybe a plus one. It intelligence. gives you a plus one intelligence, and then you have the ability to like cast telepathy once per day. It could be good. Um, we could also good. give you advantage on uh, any interaction rolls with uh, aberrations. Ooh, yeah, that's good. And like, maybe, I like that. I like the intelligence and like a yeah plus for wisdom saves once a day or something. Yeah. Like, and we, it could let you speak the language of aberrations, even just to, like a few words. Once a day or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's good. So what'd you call it? The, ab- the, the aberrant compass. Aberrant compass. Oh, I think I'm going to include that. I love the idea of just the mystery of what it's pointing to. Cause that, that whole thing in Pir- Pirates of the Caribbean with like the opening of the compass and it's always pointing to what you desire most. Such a cool, silly, delightful concept. Um, that like kind of adds to the character stuff. So the, I love this, the mysterious, like why, why is the tadpole going in that direction all the time? Like, Oh, good. Delightful. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, that was Random Table Talk. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana, episode 51. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Vox Arcana Pod or Vox Arcana Podcast. You can also email with any questions or feedback to voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to get more bonus episodes uh, that we release monthly and access to our entire back catalog of bonus episodes, you can do so at patreon.com. You can support the show there and find a lot more content provided to you right on that site. That link will be in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Ravage and don't give a hoot. Drink up me, Artie, yo ho. Yo ho, yo.